What a mighty God. Amen. Boy, I tell you, look at the craziness of the week, and it seems like I say that every week I get up here, but it just every, every week it just gets more bizarre. I read this week where a lady took and injected her baby through its veins with sanitizer. And I'm thinking, why? Why would you do this? I read a story where a guy bit his baby's nose off. I'm going, why, why would you do that? It's a bizarre, bizarre thing. But Jesus came to pay the price so that we could have eternal life, so that we could share this good news with people. And today we see the work of Jesus with the big stamp of approval put on it. I believe that that's the reason he rose again. I believe if the sacrifice would not have been accepted, I believe if the sacrifice would not have been perfect, I believe if all that had to be settled was not settled, Jesus Christ would not have come out of that grave. But because his father raised him up out of that grave, it was the sense of approval, the father's approval, that everything had been settled, and now all we have to do, guys, is believe. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? When we left off last Sunday, this won't be up on the screen. I'm just going to read this to you, but go to John 20 and and wait on me. I'm coming right there. If you're in your Bible, I'm just back up about five verses there in the burial of Jesus. Just go back up into 19, the last three or four verses. But I wanted to take us where we were. We talked about this last Sunday night. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus and the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds. Taking the body of Jesus, two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish, Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And as I said last Sunday night, if that was the end of the story, we'd be in a big trouble. We'd be in a mess. Over the night, though, and over the next few days, some things would happen. I always like to say when we were singing, and Jesus died, and then the weekend came. And something big, big happened. Of course, Pilate was worried about what was going on. The leaders were worried about what was going on. The Sanhedrin was worried about what was going on. And so it was appointed some guards that would sit by the tomb of Jesus. If you look over into Matthew and Luke, you'll see some of these other things that John chose not to put in there. It doesn't mean they're wrong. It's just this was John's count. He kept it very simple. But there was guards guarding the tomb of Jesus. Now, isn't it amazing that they thought he was just another man, that he wasn't who he said he was, that the miracles were just kind of a hoax, uh, that even though he said he was the Son of God, we really don't believe that, but, but we're going to go ahead and put guards in front of his tomb. I don't imagine that was done very often in those days. There's not many times in the days today when someone has is, is, is died that we set policemen or guards or our National Guard by their grave. We don't do that very often. But there was something, I believe there was something down deep in them that said, what if? What if? It's just like I believe that when people say that I'm an atheist and I believe there is no God and I believe that all that is just a lie, but I believe late at night when they look up at the ceiling in their bed and ever so often they just think, what if? What if? 
What if this Bible is true? What if what that preacher I heard on TV preaching is true? What if there is a God? What if? And I think that's what was going on in the hearts of these people. Of course, some thought that they might come to try to steal the body, try to set up some elaborate hoax. But on the Sunday night, or the Saturday night, now we know that Jesus laid in the grave three days. Now here's something you need to know as far as history-wise, as Jewish custom-wise, any part of a day is a whole day. So people will say, I thought you said he laid in the tomb three days, and he was just there Friday night, Saturday, and come out Sunday. That's not three days. But to them, any part of a day is three days. Or any part of a day is a day, which you've got three parts, so that makes three days. But on the Saturday night, sometime early in the morning, probably, I don't know, one, two o'clock, midnight, I don't know when God chose to do it, but the earth began to shake. <laughs> And the soldier's eyes got about this big around. And it said that they were so afraid they became as dead men. It makes me think they just passed slap out, as we'd say here in the South. I think they just passed out. It couldn't, this was unbelievable. What was going on here? And all the time, God the Father, however he chose to do it, himself through angels. We know there were some angels there at the grave. But someone come and released Jesus Christ from that tomb. And the stone was thrown away, and Jesus Christ came out of that grave. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we serve a risen Savior. That deserves some applause, all right? We deserve some applause for Jesus Christ. Now, the soldiers don't know what to do. They come to their, wet, their wits, and they're trying to figure out what to do next. And so they run off to their leaders to the Sanhedrin. Now remember, if you're, under, if you're a guard in those days, remember how mean they are. We watched them beat Jesus. They, these guys were ruthless. But if you're in charge of someone to keep them incarcerated and to take care of them, and they get away, you're a dead man. So the first thing they had to do is come up with some kind of idea of the show and let people know that this wasn't our fault. And so they run off to the Sanhedrin, the high priest. They run off to Pilate. I, it, there's a lot going on here, but they come up with this big story. Let's say this. Let's say someone stole the body, and we don't know what happened. And this will be just between us, and no one will ever speak a word of this outside this room. And you know, there's people today believe that same story. It's been passed down 2,000 years, and there are still people to this day that believe someone stole the body of Jesus. Well, let's see here what really happened, all right? Let's go to God's Word and see what really happened. The empty tomb, chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, it's Sunday. That's why we worship today on Sunday, right here. For early on the first day of the week, it's called the Lord's Day. While it was still dark, Mary got up really early that morning, maybe around 6 o'clock, 5.30, and when she left her house that morning, it was still kind of, couldn't really quite see, couldn't quite see. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Can you imagine? Just put yourself in Mary's shoes for a minute. Think about what she was thinking on the way to the tomb. Think about the grief. Think about the sadness. Think about what she was experiencing through all this. Think about, I'm sure she was reliving what Jesus had done for her. Mary Magdalene was not a good person, as they would say. But Jesus Christ forgave her. And she hung on to his every word. She hung on to him. She was around him as much as she possibly could. Because you know what? When, when much is forgiven, 
Much love comes from that. And I think she realized how much she had been forgiven. What a life she had had. But this man, this man forgave her. And now all that was gone. So I'm sure even that next morning, it was been Friday, Saturday, here we are Sunday morning early, and I'm sure there's still tears streaming down her face. So she came running to Simon Peter. She knew where these guys were, probably Bethany. Now, Bethany was about, oh, four, five, six miles from Jerusalem. But she knew where some of these guys were, and she ran all the way there. And the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John. John would never say his name in his own book. It's, it's just the way he is. But anytime you see the other disciple or the one Jesus loved, that's the one, that's John. That's John writing about himself. They have taken the Lord... Notice the Lord right there. Just a minute, I'm going to show you something else. Notice right there, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. I like this part. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Now, I think John's kind of bragging about himself there a little bit because he was a lot younger than Peter. But he outran Peter because Peter was old, all right? But the amazing thing is he got there first, but you look here in a minute who goes in first, all right? Peter had a great wit about him. He, he didn't fear anything. He was just initial reaction, go. I think we can all kind of see some of Peter in ourselves. We don't really think about things sometime too long. We just kind of do it. Hope it turns out all right. Peter had a lot of that in him, okay? Let's read on. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Now, when they say bend over, I was reading about how the tombs would have been constructed, and they would have had a, a low door, probably three foot or less. Three foot or less would have been the door to that tomb, and you would have had to stoop over and to look in. And as a, as a full-grown man, you would have to get down real low and kind of work your way into that tomb. Once you got into that tomb, there would be kind of like a U-shape from the door, and there would be a ledge back here or over to the side, and that's where the body would be laid. Now, when John gets there to the door, and it's low, John kind of gets down, and he just kind of looks in, all right? He's looking in to see what happened. When Peter gets there, Peter don't hesitate. Peter just runs right in there and says, what's going on? And he sees over here the linen that was around Jesus' body is still there, but there's no body there. There's no body there. Let's read a little bit further because there's some interesting things there. He saw the strips on verse 7. He saw the strips of cloth... Uh, he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Think about that a minute. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Now, this doesn't look like a grave robbery, is what they're saying. The, the, the linen is there, and some believe that it could have been just flat, Others believe because of the spice and everything that Nicodemus and Joseph had put on there, over 75 pounds, they believe it almost would have looked like a, a, a mummy type thing. It would have been a cloth where it looked like there was a body in there, but there really wasn't, meaning that Jesus just kind of out of that, out of that, that, that uh, incarceration he was in, he just kind of went out. But either way, it doesn't really matter. But the part is that it wasn't hurried. It wasn't somebody that tried to get in there and take somebody away. It wasn't like that. This was done orderly, and it was done by God. Now, the napkin laying to the side there that's mentioned, 
that would have been tied under your neck. If you remember the old pictures where somebody had a toothache and they took and tied that and they, they tied a knot up here on top and it would keep your jaw together. Back in those days, because there wasn't embalming and all that, when a person was laid in the grave, they would tie a cloth around their, under their chin and up here and it would keep their mouth from dropping open. And so that cloth had been removed, but it wasn't just thrown about, things that wasn't all that. And anyway, if somebody was stole the body, they're not going to go in there and meticulously take off all that linen, all those things. And it's just going to be, if they do, it's going to be thrown everywhere. But everything was right in its place. And even the cloth that was around Jesus' head was separate, and it was laying there where his head would have laid. And I think that's huge to know because this shows us that this was not fluke, this was not a grave robbery, this was done by the power of God. And Jesus was rose, he was raised up, and he was alive. I also like this thought. Do you remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? You remember what happened? He said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus walked out, and you remember what he said, what Jesus said? He said, take off the grave clothes. You see, the sad thing is about that, Lazarus would need those grave clothes again because he was a man and he would die somewhere in the future. Lazarus died again. Jesus left his in the grave. You know why? He didn't need them no more. He would never need them anymore. He was alive and he would never return to anything close to that ever again. I thought that was a great thing to think about. Very orderly, and unhurried as we look into the tomb. Let's read, read further. Verse 8, finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, finally the other disciple. Remember, John got there first. He looked in. Peter got there. He ran on in, and he's, he's just kind of taking it all in. Then John comes in. You know, kind of like probably I'd have been. I, I want to make sure everything was all right before I went in there. And John goes in, and he sees with his own eyes. He sees the condition of the grave clothes. He sees what's happening. And the Bible says he saw and he believed. I think this was more than just he believed Jesus was, was not there. I think it was deeper than that. I think all those times, you remember through John, many times when Jesus would set the disciples down and they would talk and he would tell them, you don't know, you don't understand what I'm going to do. I'm going to die, okay? I'm going to die for people's sins. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to raise again on the third day. And it would always confuse them. They didn't really understand what was going on. It was really hard for them to grasp. But here all of a sudden, it all started to make sense. It's like it all clicked. It clicked and he believed. Now, we see one other strange verse right there in parentheses. Verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, I believe that they believed that he was going to rise on the third day. I believe they got that part. I think what they were still trying to understand is why this all was happening. I think that was the, you know, I think they understood, yeah, Jesus is alive. I believe what he told us is true. I believe he's done that. He's resurrected. The Father's resurrected him. But that they still in their heart, they really don't grasp the, the brevity, the bigness of it. The bigness of what's going on here. This is salvation to all that will accept for all of mankind for all of time. This is huge. And so you can see real easy why it's hard for them to wrap their brain around what is happening here. 
Yes, they understand Jesus is not there. Yes, it clicks that, yeah, he told us he was going to raise again on the third day. And it looks like he's done that. But still in their mind, they don't understand the bigness of what's happening. They don't understand the bigness of what's going on. Now, verse 11. Now, Mary, some translation says, but Mary. I like that, but Mary. They see, they leave. But Mary stays. Mary stays, and Mary comes in herself. Remember, when one is forgiven much, one loves much. Mary was forgiven a great, great deal. And listen to all of us. Anyone forgiven, it's much. It's huge. I'm not saying that, but, but someone that has had the worst and worst of times, and God forgives them and saves them, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable to them. But Mary, but now Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Now, can you imagine looking into that tomb? I said a while ago she came in, but she's still kind of looking in. Can you imagine looking into that tomb and seeing two angels sitting there where Jesus' body had laid, one at his head and one at his foot? And it doesn't really seem like she, you know, I probably went, ah, and ran off, you know. But she stayed, and she, it was like, it, I love the calmness of how John wrote this. She just kind of takes up a conversation with two heavenly beings. I, I think it shows, and this is just me thinking, I think it just shows how bad she wanted to know where Jesus was. Nothing was going to spook her away until she had some answers. And she began to take up a conversation with heavenly beings. It's amazing. Look here. They have taken my Lord away. You remember what I said to look at when we looked up here earlier? Look up there in verse 2 one more time. So, so they came running to Simon Peter and the other side with the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord. Now look here at, at the difference in her tone now. It says, they have taken my Lord away guys make sure if you haven't already make sure that you've went from saying the Lord to my Lord because that's what salvation is all about it's about making Jesus the Lord and and I like to say the boss or the savior of your life make sure that you've went from saying I love to hear about the Lord I love to hear church I love to hear about the God I love to hear about what he done for them and to the point where you say I love to hear about my Lord I love to hear what he did for for me and for you you can see you can see a difference here in what he had made in Mary's life they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, I don't know if Jesus didn't really reveal himself to her. Some shows I've seen, say he's got kind of a hood on. They, they wore a hood sometime. He... You know, he, he's dressed in, uh, I, would, I would assume, white maybe. Uh, the, the angels are in white. Maybe he looks like he's wearing the clothes of a gardener. Maybe she thinks only the gardener would be up that early. Whatever it is, all these thoughts are going through her mind, and she don't understand that it's Jesus sitting right there before her. Verse 15, he asked her, Woman, why are you crying, and who is it you're looking for? 
Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. Now, folks, we know that this woman could no, not go grab a, a full-grown man. She said, but you tell me where he is and I'll go get him. Do you see how bad she wanted to know where Jesus was? Do you think we as Christians want to know how, do we, do we get to that point where we just want to know where Jesus is so bad? Where he's at in our life, where, what he's doing, what he's about, what his will is? Do we seek Jesus this hard in an everyday life situation? I'm talking to Christians right now. Do we seek him this hard? You tell me where he is and I'll go get him. My life is, is desperate. I don't feel good. I don't, life is hard. It's a mess and everything's just piling in on me. And instead of just sitting there and just sulking and crying, we should get up with the power of God in us and say, I'm going to go where Jesus is. And he can come to you. He will come to you. If you just reach out to him, he will come. And he will help you through. And I'm not saying it's not, it's not, it's very hard to get through time sometimes. It's very difficult to get through things in our life sometimes. But I am telling you, he will be there for you if you just call out and he is there. Think about this scripture. Where is he at? And I want to go find him or I want to go get him or I want him to be here where I'm at so that I will know how to handle this situation that I'm in. A lot of power in what Mary's doing here. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. Hmm. You remember when Jesus called your name out? Remember that night, maybe you was in revival or you was at Bible school or you was at work or you was at your grandma's house or you was at mom and dad's house or you was in the hospital and you heard Jesus call your name. And you knew there was no doubt who was calling your name. I was nine years old. I was singing in the little choir here, and the invitation came. I felt his presence over my life. I was still scared to go. I knew he was calling me. But all of a sudden, the power of the Lord got a hold of me, and I stood up, and I took that first step. I met my pastor here in front. He took me right over here and we prayed and I accepted Christ. And I knew that God had called Todd. What emotion must have ran through Mary when he said, Mary. He didn't have to say much. Isn't it amazing about God? He don't have to say much and you know he's there. It's amazing. When he calls your name, Dana, June, Karen, Eddie, Stephen, Linda, Nancy, he calls your name. And maybe it's the first time when you're saved, but maybe it's the 
450,000 times he's called your name, and you're just hurting, and you need him, and, and you know all of a sudden that Jesus is there. There's no feeling like it in the world. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, our great teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them the things that she said these things to her. When she realized who it was, she grabbed him and just embraced him. You remember last week when I was talking about when Jesus was on the cross, he looked out to his mother Mary and he said, Mary, now John's going to take care of you. And we talked about him starting a brand new community, really a brand new community of believers. It was a brand new way. And I think when Mary reached out and grabbed him, it was, it was great, but he said, do not cling on to me. I think he wanted her to realize that things have changed. Not, not that she wasn't forgiven, not that he, wasn't, uh, that he loved her and, and, and always would love her, but he wanted her to understand that now it's a brand new relationship. I'm not, I'm not the human being anymore. I've, I, I'm, I'm God. I'm, I'm God in the flesh. And pretty soon I'm going to return not only to my father, but your father. And I think he wanted her to realize that there was a brand new relationship now. It wasn't going to be the old way. It wasn't going to be Jesus, the, the human being Jesus. It was going to be Jesus, the son of God. He always was that, but it was a little different for a while. It was a little different as he was fully human, fully flesh. And pretty soon he would ascend to the father. He would be glorified already in some terms, he was. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them he, that he had said these things to her. Have you seen the Lord this morning? I wanted to show you something here. I'm going to move down. Go to one more screen there, Russell. We're going to, we're going to cover the next verses tonight. By the way, come tonight and see what happens when you miss church on Sunday night. That's what Thomas did. Thomas missed church one Sunday night, and he missed seeing Jesus. It might be a good idea to make it on Sunday night, all right? You might miss Jesus sometime. But tonight we'll talk about the day that Thomas missed Sunday night church, or tonight. But at the very end of John, at this chapter, is these verses I thought were very unique. And I want to close with these. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. John's kind of summarizing the book. Now, there's one more chapter. He's going to talk to his disciples next week. But he said, I want you to understand, Jesus did a lot more other things. He did a lot of things. Things that we didn't all write down in our Gospels. Amazing things. Because you can't, you can't really even confine Jesus to the pages. He just, it's just, he just he goes over that. But there, these are written that you have believed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why did, why did John write this book? 
If you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have different points of view. They all have different eyewitness accounts. And John wrote his book in a way that it would, you would know without a doubt that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And many times when we, we see people come to give their heart to Jesus, I've heard preachers say, the first book you need to read is the book of John. And we've, we took ourselves through that book all but one chapter over the last several weeks, probably been four or five months now. And I think John had a couple purposes. One more screen, Russell. John's got a couple purposes in this book. First of all, to witness to unbelievers concerning Jesus in order that they come to believe in him and have eternal life. The one thing about John is so people can see that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. And they can come to know him as Savior. But it's to more people than just the lost. It's also to us to evangelize, to go out and tell the good news, to strengthen the faith of believers by deepening and expanding their understanding of who Jesus is. And I hope after these several months that you really have a deeper understanding of who Jesus was. He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah, which is the Christ, which is the one that come to save us. He is exactly who he said he was. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he wants us to, to take that in first as salvation, and then he wants us to take that in as believers and go and tell others about the power of Jesus Christ and the power of who he is. Because we see evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence that this is not a lie, that this is real, that this is what it was meant to be, and this is what Jesus came to do, and he's done that. He's died, he's paid the price, he's rose again, it's been approved by the Father, and now all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Look at this one verse right here, one more verse. Very familiar verse. How, how, how do you get saved, Brother Todd? How, how do you give your heart to Jesus? Many of you know that answer in this room. But I want everybody to know for sure, there's a lot of disagreement about what salvation is. People say you got to do this. And people say you got to do that. And people say, well, it's this. And people say, well, you can't do this and be saved. And you can't do that and be saved. And, and you can't do that unless you've done that to be saved. And, and you can't be saved unless you add this onto it. And here it is. Here it is from God's word. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, is there a, a, a hyphen there? Is there a but or and? It's a period. It's a period. If you believe and declare with your mouth, we just read through John. We've seen him die. We've seen him rose again. And we declare with our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no other above him. He is the one. He is the Lord of all. And we declare that with our mouth. And we believe it in our heart that God raised him from the dead, just as we read this morning, we see the proof in, written in, in the word, you will be saved. For it is by your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Listen to me. I believe salvation is a private thing. I believe it's between you and God. Only you and God can settle that for you. I can't settle that for you, and you can't settle that for me. But I also believe this. I believe that if Almighty God gets a hold of you, and you believe what he's done for you, you are going to open up your mouth at some point and say, I believe in God, he is my Savior, and I want the world to know that. Because he is worth speaking about, amen? He's worth telling people about. And we see those folks just a few weeks ago get up there and give their heart and are baptized. They are speaking that in words louder than we could ever yell because they are dead to their old way. They are rising to a new way, and they're going to walk now with Jesus, and they are professing that with the way they act and what they do. 
And guys, if we say we believe in Jesus, we need to live like it. We need to live like it. So the other, not so we can look good, no, not so we're fitting into some form of what a Christian looks like, so that the world can see what a Christian is, what a Christian does, so that they will come to know Christ, and that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. We make it so confusing. Well, they can't be a Christian. I've seen them doing this. They can't be a Christian. I've seen them doing that. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you will be saved. Well, what about that, Brother Todd? It's not there. What about this, Brother Todd? It's not there. What about baptism, Brother Todd? It's not there. What about speaking in tongues? It's not there. What about getting the Holy Ghost later on down the line? It's not there. It's not added on to that. God's not going to lie to you. He's not going to have something on there. Oh, I held, I held a secret. There's a secret that nobody knows but five of us. And so you don't know that. So you're going to wake up someday and you're going to be lost because you don't know the secret. God doesn't work like that. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except right through me. I'm the only road. I'm the only highway that gets you to heaven. You can't get there any other way. Whether that's narrow-minded or not, I don't know. But I know this. We know the exact way, and we don't have to doubt about it. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's the way you get to heaven. That's the way you get to heaven, guys. We've tried to make it so complicated. We've tried to add things onto it. And we're confusing people to death, and they don't know whether they're lost or saved. Jesus said, it's so a little child can understand it. It's so a little child can understand it. Quit confusing it. Tell people that Jesus died and loves them. He paid their price. And if they'll call out of his name, he'll save them. Period. End of question mark. Amen. Amen. Guys, it's, it's getting too close. It's getting too soon that we've got to quit confusing people. And we've got, to, we've got to quit making salvation our own thing and what we've concocted it to be. We've got to put salvation just as plain and simple as we can put it, and we've got to put it out there where everybody can hear it, and we've got to live it. Because it's not going to be long, guys, that we're going to be going home. This world is messed up. And we've got to start living like we should live for the Lord. From your preacher on down, let's be strong. Let's take the words of John and let them feed our, our soul and realize that this is a true, real God. And this is a God that demands our respect. He demands our life. And he demands us to tell about others, to him, about him, because he needs and he wants. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life. Would you bow with me? And Father, what, a, what an amazing book that you inspired John to write. And Lord, we do believe that every, every line, period, sentence, everything in this Bible is inspired by you. Lord, is it, is it a perfect book? It is undefiable. It is, it is without reproach. It is a perfect book. And Lord, to read through the pages of John and how, how simply he explained it, how he showed us who you were, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you gave us the exact way to get to heaven. We don't have to guess. We don't have to hope so. We don't have to compare ourselves to anybody else. We just compare ourselves to what you said. If we'll say that you are Lord and that we believe that God raised you from the dead, we can be saved. Lord, I pray that we would live. I pray that I would live in such a way 
that I would not be a hindrance, that I would not be a stepping stone to someone wanting to find Christ. Lord, speak to us today. Speak to us about someone that's lost that we know. And Lord, if there's someone in this room this morning that does not know you, may they come to know you as Savior. Lord, speak this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.